0: Welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Twyla Brays, a registered nurse, the president and co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom. And today we're going to do some health freedom updates and insights. And Twyla Brays, welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast.
1: It's great to be here. Thanks so much.
0: Would you tell us, for those who are not aware, a little bit about Citizens Council for Health Freedom?
1: Yes. Our organization is a non-profit it is uh, now in its 26th year of operations, and our mission is to protect patient and doctor freedom across the country. And so we deal with issues like um, the fact that you are having a problem these days, having a strong relationship with your doctor, or the fact that uh, maybe you can't even get a doctor. We deal with a lot of issues at the legislative level and Privacy is also one of our key issues because we say he who holds the data makes the rules and we want the patient and the doctor to be the ones that hold the data and make the rules.
0: You know, twilo th- this has been an issue. As you mentioned, you've been in this for more than 20 some years and yet a lot of people just recently through the the handling of the COVID crisis and COVID itself have learned how important health freedom is and health care freedom. So why don't we talk about why things have changed in the past couple of years for the worse, obviously.
1: Yes. Well, I think, you know, that is a silver lining of COVID actually is how much it opened people's eyes to what's been going on. And perhaps, you know, because I'm an RN and uh, I was in the emergency room and then I was in a school setting and I I had a lot of experiences that opened my eyes sooner than probably a lot of people uh, out there. The reason I think that it is you know, worse in the last few years are several. One, because of the mandate. That mandate, uh, even though it's been lifted, sort of, it's still there and like, you know, for I, I believe there's still 70 college campuses that require the COVID shot. Mm-hmm. And then there's always, I think, the fear amongst the hospital staff or others that there will be, that the mandate will come back in. So that's just, that's one thing. Another thing has to do just with the doctors and the nurses themselves. In 2021, there was a record, well, almost a record in 40 years of uh, nurses leaving the practice of nursing. And it was 100,000 nurses and they're still leaving and doctors are also leaving there's a shortage of both doctors and nurses and really if we just look at sort of what was done to them over well longer than the past 3 years but um what happened during covid was really the last straw for lots of doctors and nurses because they were put under So much duress, they were called heroes in the beginning and then zeros when they wouldn't get the shot. Uh, They weren't allowed to use their minds and their brains and their skills to do what patients needed to have done to them to save their lives because certain medications were off the table and certain procedures were for everyone that landed in a a hospital and that was actually very dangerous. You know, 90% of people put on a ventilator died. And so this has been a very difficult time. And so if you're a patient today looking for health care today or tomorrow or, you know, in the future, you're looking at fewer doctors and nurses, you know, to be available to you.
0: Let's talk more about the exodus of nurses and doctors, because this is so troubling. And in looking at some of the data, not only the numbers are concerning, but also the ages. You might think that this was all retirement age, but what's the reality?
1: Yes, I think that's interesting, too, is that the majority or a high percentage of uh, those nurses who left in 2021, those 100,000 nurses, were younger. And so they really don't expect nurses to start leaving the field until they're about 50 or so. But these were, you know, lots and lots of younger nurses. There came um, another study in 2022 that said that the reason that the nurses are leaving to be, um, things like retirement, uh, lack of, or the problem with the shortage of lack of, uh, training and education for replacements. And then this rapid growth of the aging population. However, that's not really the reason why younger nurses would leave. So, Younger nurses, whatever, the the profession is not meeting their expectations or their needs, or it's gotten scary for them. It's hard to say exactly what the reasons are. But the fact of the matter is I always look at um, medicine, the practice of medicine, as a mission. And it's the same thing for the practice of nursing. You know, as a nurse, I was an advocate. Uh, When I was in the hospital, I was an advocate for the patients. And if I saw a doctor that I thought was doing something wrong, even report the doctor to, you know, whoever was at the hospital that was in charge, because I knew for the benefit of the patient, you wanted to protect that patient because every patient, even if all you have is an ear infection. You are vulnerable because you can't get what you need unless the doctor gives it to you uh, or the nurses are there to protect you or whatever. You know, that's why medicine and the practice of nursing have always been missions. And now, you know, we're, we're at a troubling time where the patient is no longer the point of the healthcare system. Instead, it's really outside agendas and I, you know the other uh, statistic to tell your listeners is that somewhere between 70 and 75% of all doctors are employees Think about that for a moment, because, you know, doctors, they spent uh, somewhere between 11 to 17 years becoming a doctor. They're the only ones who can practice medicine. (laughs) And they used to put out their shingle and everybody was so glad to get a doctor in their neighborhood. Right. But today they have. Because of uh, federal mandates and regulations and controls, particularly unfunded mandates like the electronic health record. It has driven the doctors into employment where now either they're owned by a health plan like United Healthcare, the largest health plan in the world, owns like 130,000. Well, one report says 90,000, but another said 130,000 mm-hmm. doctors. They own them. Mm -hmm. So we have all of these doctors under corporate control that are no longer working for the patient. They might be trying to, but it's really like we have socialized the healthcare system uh, in the corporate version because of the health plans, because of the corporate ownership of the doctors and private equity has come in too. And they just come in buy a doctor's practice, make a a lot of money in a short period of time, and then they might sell it against the next uh, equity owner.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about my own experience as a child and and going to see a physician who most certainly was not part of a corporation. And then uh, last night I was watching a 70s sitcom with my kids and they were having a doctor who came to the house and my kids were kind of scratching their heads like, is that really real? I'm saying that was a thing that used to happen. There were such things as house calls. Is that a bygone era in America?
1: No, I think it is a returning era. In America, but not everywhere. And so, like, we have the Wedge of uh, Health Freedom at jointhewedge.com, jointhewedge.com. That is our directory of cash based independent practices that don't take insurance. They don't take government and nobody controls them. They're totally in the um, in a relationship with their patients and they're totally working for their patients. And some of those doctors actually do house calls. I know that the very first practice that came onto the wedge uh, when we launched, she was in Virginia and she had 400 patients. And half of them were on Medicare and half of them were not. These are Medicare patients paying cash to go to her. Medicare is not paying at all. But what did they want? They wanted a doctor who was in their corner working just for them, was protecting them against the system or from the system, right? She would go to their homes and do house calls. She would go to the hospital and tell them whether or not their doctors were doing what they needed to have done. So she was there as a protector and an advocate uh, for these patients.
0: It's so interesting to see kind of everything old is new again, and I'm very happy that these things are coming back. And yet there's a lot to understand, uh, as you have laid out at the website on the Wedge of Health Freedom. First of all, the topic is cash-based practices, and I want people to understand exactly what that means because I think people hear that and they get scared, like, where am I going to get the cash from?
1: Yes, that's always a good question because, you know, for the majority of people, they don't remember how it used to be. And they think that what is happening today and how healthcare works today is the only way healthcare can work. But actually, before the health plans, before the HMOs, before Ted Kennedy mm-hmm. and Richard Nixon got together and decided to merge. The delivery of healthcare with the financing of healthcare. Uh, before that, there was real insurance and real insurance is like your car insurance or your homeowner's insurance, where they send you a check and then you have the cash in hand and you go out and find the doctor that works best for you. You go out and find the hospital that you want to go to, the surgery center you want to go to, the cancer center you want to go to, you have the cash in hand. Because Back then, insurance was for insurable events. It was just insurance for financial catastrophes, things that you could not afford. It, w- it was for the expensive chronic conditions. It was for the catastrophic conditions, right? It wasn't for everything under the sun, you know, every little thing that happens to you. And therefore, all the prices were down at the cash-based level. And everybody competed for patients at the cash-based level. And you could go to any hospital because every hospital wanted your cash, Mm -hmm. right? So there was so much freedom uh, in that system. And that's the system that we're going back to. Our our organization is working to bring back real insurance, the insurance that the Affordable Care Act uh, actually prohibited. It's happening at some of the state levels where they're bringing back something very close to indemnity. It's medical indemnity insurance. Um, it pays you cash. And then you go out and find your doctor, your hospital, your treatments, et cetera.
0: So how are these getting past the, uh, the federal regulators and those who are seeking to keep Obamacare as the primary law of the land and, and the governor of all insurance policies?
1: Yes, yeah, so well, this is a wonderful beginning. And I have to say beginning because they're not strictly medical indemnity policies, but they're closer. So at the state level, there's five or six states now that have passed something called a health benefit plan. Now, Tennessee actually had one 30 years ago. Uh, It's through the um, Farm Bureau, but nobody has to be a farmer. You can be anybody. You just join the Bureau and you can get one. But the legislation itself says this is not health insurance. And because it's not Uh, health insurance and the state has specifically said it's not health insurance it cannot be regulated under the affordable care act and the thing for your listeners to be reminded of i think is 10th amendment rights states rights Mm. so the federal government through the affordable care act and even through medicare has violated the 10th amendment states rights individuals rights that are all in the 10th amendment and it is a great thing when states remember that they have the power to say no to the federal government and they create state only laws that tell the government to essentially go away you're not welcome here and that's what the health benefit plans are They're something way closer to an indemnity plan than anything else that's happening in the country but eventually we would like real uh, medical indemnity plans to be uh, available in every state and for every person in Medicare and for every person at every age, which is one of our ways that we um, intend to bring back health freedom across the country. Because I think uh, I'll just uh, add this about Medicare, because it's so important. If you have Medicare listeners or people who are coming into Medicare or people who are thinking, well, at least when I turn 65, I'll have Medicare, right? Because they've got really poor coverage. Medicare is going bankrupt in eight years, yeah. 2031, 2031. And in, in, just four years after that 80 million Americans are going to be dependent on Medicare. So Medicare needs uh, an escape plan, because everyone in Medicare and dependent on Medicare is headed into a terrible and severe rationing of healthcare care uh, situation. And by bankrupt, I should maybe explain that. So in uh, 2031, according to the Medicare trustees, the government will only be able to pay 89% of its bills. And it will only pay as the money comes in because it will not have any cash reserve. So as people work and they pay their FICA taxes or their employer pays it for them, money will come into the federal government. And so a certain number of medical bills will be paid every day as a result of that. But it won't be the full thing because they won't have the money to fully pay the bill. And so 11% of bills will not be fully paid, which means there's a lot of rationing that's going to happen. And the federal government is expecting the Medicare Advantage plans to do that rationing. And then they're try, they're working on a new system to try to get all the doctors that are outside of the health plans to also do the rationing. It's called Make, make Care Primary. So the federal government is trying to move everyone into Medicare Advantage because they see what's happening here. The politicians want everybody into Medicare Advantage so that they, Congress, do not have to ration the care so that... Medicare Advantage plans will ration the care and so that they will keep Medicare alive longer so that during their reign uh, in Congress, they do not have to have Medicare die on their watch and then lose office. So, but, but the American people don't know that this is happening.
0: In a way, this almost sounds to me, Twila, like a de facto death panel. In other words, if, if you're Rationing care—that means those eleven percent—and that will be a growing number, I'd assume, uh, will not get care, and uh, a number of them will die. So, is this just a glorified death panel?
1: Well, not exactly, because this is eleven percent of the bills. Okay. So you know they'll pick. I don't know how they. I don't know how they'll figure it out. I mean, how will they do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> All the bills come in, and then ele- every day, and then eleven percent of them. They won't have the money to pay. How will that happen? Well, their hope is that it is the Medicare Advantage Mm plans that will do the rationing. And what they will do is they'll give a limited amount of money to these health plans because that's what they do. That's how Medicare Advantage works. The government gives them a certain amount, let's just say $1,000 a month per Medicare enrollee, so like $12,000 a year. And then the Medicare Advantage health plan is allowed to deny access to care. Mm regular original Medicare doesn't have that same power to deny. And so I hope your listeners are listening up. We encourage you to go to original Medicare, pay a little bit of a higher price to have supplemental, and then have it there for when your life depends on it. Uh, Because it's very hard to get out of Medicare Advantage once you're in, because you'll probably never get a supplemental policy again. So you have to make this decision in the very beginning or perhaps later when you're still healthy. Because uh, after the first six months that you get into Medicare, the supplemental plans can do medical underwriting. They can ask for all your medical records, talk to your doctor, uh, require an interview with you, whatever, to figure out whether or not they want you. But in the very beginning, you can choose original Medicare with a supplemental plan. They can't do medical underwriting. And then you can go anywhere in the country at any time to see any doctor that takes Medicare. But if you get into Medicare Advantage, Medicare Advantage has a network. And they have prior authorization and they are known, they're actually known at the federal level for denying you access to care. It's, there's three reports out from the Office of Inspector General about uh, health plans denying access to medically necessary care to seniors.
0: The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues in a moment with our guest, Twila Brace. Online at SchillingShow.com
1: ShillingShowMedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography.
0: ShillingShowMedia.com will take your project from conception to completion.
1: ShillingShowMedia.com is reasonably priced and highly professional.
0: Need a website for your business? Visit ShillingShowMedia.com.
1: Need a video created or edited? Visit ShillingShowMedia.com.
0: Have a photography or graphic design project? Visit ShillingShowMedia.com
1: shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites audio and video production and photography
0: visit shillingshowmedia.com that's shillingshowmedia.com charlottesville's community watchdog from Rob Shilling. Shilling. We return now with Twyla Brays, registered nurse, the president and co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom. I'm so curious about this wedge of health freedom because it really does seem like this is where we need to go. There are a number of principles and first among many important ones is transparent and affordable pricing. I think this is a huge issue because we go to the doctor these days. We have no idea how much something is going to cost, uh, generally speaking.
1: That's true. And this is as a result of the government creating these things called health plans, because before the HMO Act of 1973 passed, there was no such thing as a health plan. And they used to be called HMOs, and now they're called health plans. The health plans do contracts with doctors, and they're mostly not a negotiated contract. The health plan says You take these conditions and we'll send you our patients. So the patients are captive, right? And so there are the doctors and the hospitals have different contracts with every health plan. And so they have no idea when you walk in the door exactly what the contract says as to how much they will get paid for that procedure. But they themselves have to have a cost and it's called a charge master price. And so it's the highest price that is possible. So I like to say, you know, there's the price, there's the charge, and there's the cost, and, and there's whatever you pay, and there's, you know, there's whatever the health plan pays. There's ne- the negotiated price. Nobody knows, right? Mm-hmm. But there is a real cost. And actually the hospitals and the doctors know whatever the real cost is. But because they've got so many contractors that they've signed with, including the government, they can't tell you what the real cost is because lots of those contracts say that they can't. Now the Trump administration moved towards price transparency and some states are moving towards price price transparency requirements where they have to tell you the approximate price of a certain number of most common procedures. However, this is what I, I want to say, price transparency. I mean, look at anything else in your life. What's a house cost. Go, go on Zillow and find mm-hmm. out Right? right. <laughs> what, what's something cost in the grocery store. Go shop, go look, uh, uh go to Aldi and then go to uh, Lunds and Barley's or, you know, wherever you want to go, w- what's the price? Well, they can charge whatever they want, but you will see what the price is. They can have say that their items are more quality than the next guy. And you can see what the price is. What's the difference here? The difference is who holds the dollar. And so transparency always comes when you have a cash-based system. That's how everything else in life is. Congress did a terrible thing when they moved towards a corporate version of socialized medicine, the HMO now called the health plan. And they, they took the cash out of people's hands and they merge the delivery and financing of care. And they and essentially what a health plan is, is prepaid health care, just like a socialized health care system. Mm. You pay taxes and then you hope that, that, you know, they'll give you the care that you want. Same thing with a health plan. You pay premiums and they hope they'll, that they'll give you the care that you need. But that's not how it is with groceries. You don't pay a prepaid grocery price and then hope that you get steak and macaroni and cheese and lettuce, right? Yeah. You can go out there and you know, get whatever you want because it's your money you're going to pay. And so we have done a terrible thing that week, the Congress has done a terrible thing with healthcare. We have to bring it back to where there are, there's not only the power of the purse in the person's hands, but there's also transparency of prices with, which comes with that power of the purse and also the competitive pricing that comes with the fact that you have cash in hand. And, and if you want to see this in action, look at LASIK yes. eye surgery. Remember when LASIK was like $5,000 per eye, yeah. right? Now, because insurance does not pay for it, $500 per eye, right? This is what happens with cash. This is what happens with uh, competition. Uh, this is what happens to price transparency.
0: There's something else that really bothers me, and it has to do with uh, patient privacy. So I sometimes go to doctor, and I'll see them there on an iPad. Every question is being entered into an iPad, and I'm wondering where that's going. What government entity is getting that information? I know that the Wedge of Health Freedom uh, providers are looking to protect patient privacy and also stay away from government reporting. So how does that work?
1: Yes. Well, because they only take cash and they the, the wedge practices, whether they're doctors or nurse practitioners or pharmacists or whomever, they only take cash, which means they don't have a Medicare contract, they don't have a Medicaid contract, and they don't have an insurance contract. So they don't have to report all of these things to all of these entities. There's no reporting in order to get paid because they're paid right then and there by the patient so the patient makes the rules and if the patient doesn't like them the patient goes away right or the patient asks them a question and they negotiate a lower price because the doctor is his own or her own business they can do whatever they want with the prices right and so when it comes to privacy of course they don't have to send that data anywhere Uh, but they can send it through an electronic health record if you want it sent to a pharmacy and their system allows them to send it to a pharmacy you, you know you get to choose they get to to send it if you want them to, or they'll hand you a paper prescription. So that's how that works. But I think, you know, when you're talking about the iPad, you know, for your listeners to understand when they walk into that exam or or they walk into that doctor's office or that hospital and they're handed an iPad and then they're asked all of these questions. Most of these questions have nothing to do with their visit So this is the whole healthcare system, the patient and the doctor, so I've kind of explained how the doctor is being exploited because they're under the control of the outsiders and they're doing the outsiders bidding and they're not giving care that the outsiders don't want them to give, you know, the health plans, the government, whomever. But the patient is also being exploited in the healthcare system because their data is gold. And so now the government and the health plans want all this data. There are uh, data entities that want all this data. Uh, There's this new thing called social determinants of health. So they're grabbing data on every aspect of your life for their own political agendas. I encourage people not to fill out those, actually ask for a paper copy and say, I, you know, I'll determine what I want to fill out here, but I'm not going to answer all those questions because I know they're not pertinent and I know you're just putting them in a data system and I know it's going to go into an electronic health record, which is accessible to countless outsiders because of HIPAA, or maybe it's even going to be available on the eHealth Exchange, which is the national medical record system that's being built. And so I know all of this and this should not be a place where I have to give up all my data about all my life when I'm just coming here to find out what's wrong with my toe. People have to say no. They have to ask for the paper version. They have to say, I'm not, I'm not doing it this way. Find me another way.
0: I'd love for you to finally, Twilight, to comment on an experience that I had yesterday. I went to give blood at a local Red Cross blood drive and uh, they had me fill out a number of questions in advance and most of them were sensical. Uh, they made sense. But... There was one question, and it asked me whether or not I'd had a COVID-19 vaccine. I did not choose to answer that question. I skipped it. I showed up. They went through the entire process, got me right up to the point of getting onto the table, and asked me that question again. I said, I'm not going to answer that question. And they said, thank you very much and goodbye. Uh, Why would that question be important (laughs) to the Red Cross in collecting blood?
1: Oh, that is so interesting because um i didn't uh i knew that they might do it for other reasons but mm-hmm. if it's actually about collecting blood i'm guessing see i'm guessing it's not but i'm not actually positive mm-hmm. because the fact of the matter is there are flood banks growing up around the sprouting up around the country um that advertise that they are providing unvaxxed blood right and of course this is only regarding COVID because a lot of these people have had other kind of um, vaccinations and of course as you know the the COVID vaccine is not a vaccine right it is (laughs) it's a genetic injection so I think this is all about compliance so my guess is that they have been given a mandate to collect this information and if you don't provided you're not going to get paid so this is the deal here right lots of people go and they give blood and they get paid mm-hmm. and so this is one of the things that can be um, an incentive as it were to answer that question but you didn't answer that question you went through all that time you went through all that process and and they and they sent you home but would they ask you that about hiv did they ask you that about hiv
0: uh, they didn't ask me about any vaccinations regarding hiv did they ask some hiv related questions but I just—I I found it interesting. They—they they got me all the way to the point of of checking hemoglobin. They pricked my finger, even. So I would have preferred for them to have told me up front, "Hey, if you don't answer these questions, we're not taking you." Right. in. I thought they were probably right. putting me in a position where it would be hard to say no after I'd gone that far.
1: Well, absolutely. They do want your blood, but you know there are probably. Back office regulations mm-hmm. uh, that say they can't do that, and so it might even be a quality control thing that they're under where everybody has to answer that question. You know we have just come into this this time of medical tyranny where this shot, which actually is the best thing in the whole world for most people, is that you didn't take it. now we find out that a lot of the injuries might have to do with batches. We're not sure, mm-hmm. right. But so many people have been injured. And in reality, for those of us who know what's going on and are willing to say it, you know, they could say, well, you know, I'll bet you're relieved that you didn't get it because, you know, so many people have been hurt, but they didn't say that. They said, you're not welcome.
0: Twyla Brays, if if people would like to get more information on the Wedge of Health Freedom, tell us where they can do that.
1: Yes, they can go to cchfreedom.org, cchfreedom.org. Of course, the Wedge of Health Freedom is at jointhewedge.com. That's where you can find a doctor who works for you. And then I didn't mention it, but my book, Big Brother in the Exam Room, will tell you more about HIPAA and the uh, dangers of the electronic health record. And that can be found at any bookstore.
0: Twila Braze, you're doing magnificent work, and we're so grateful for you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast.
1: Thank you. It's been wonderful to
0: be here. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.